0: Satan's Pain-Free World We look around the world right now and we see that it's a common worldview to say that the purpose of life is to avoid suffering. But strangely enough, in the scripture we're going to read today, it is evil that tries to create a world forbidding pain. Alternatively, we find that the pathway into the kingdom of God is one that is willingly enduring suffering. The pathway to heaven requires one to personally choose the gospel of Christ Jesus and its cross. Now, we can ignore the fact that the gospel is actually quite deadly to carnality. It comes to kill the carnal self, and even death itself is to be defeated by the power of Christ Jesus. And in that, a new creature appears. And this is the story of how humankind, we look to the gospel and we find ourselves transformed. Thank you for joining us today. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, brought to you by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. We hope you're having a good day, and as we are here in Chord Purgatory, we thank you for joining us. I'm Pastor J. Dillon Proctor, and there is one other with me in the studio. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And 21-year-old Anthony now has turned 21. And I've got to say, 21-year-old Anthony has been on his A-game ever since he turned 21. Not that he wasn't on his A-game before, but but he's just been top marks on everything. I, I love this. so. Exciting program for you today. We we did the truth of spiritual warfare last week. We're kind of building off that a little bit more today. And we're talking about how evil relates to the world and this great moment where we see, well, Jesus reminding people that those who seek to save their life will lose it. And those who give their life over to him in the sake of the gospel, they will find that eternal salvation. But this doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens right after Jesus and Peter are having this interaction where he says, get behind me, Satan. And it's all a strange series of events that come together to teach us some really important things about the gospel and how we live on this earth looking forward to God's fullness in his kingdom. But we also, it tells us a little bit about who we are and who we are as sinners. So we've got to kind of step all the way back in time. And before we get too much into this message, again, I want to have full disclaimer. If you have any thoughts, questions, comments about any of this, please step in. And I throw this at Anthony as well. Anthony's kind of to be the the voice of reason. If I do anything that's too out there, he's just gonna come in and be like, "Hey, preacher, no one knows what you're talking about." So, Anthony, twenty-one year old Anthony, it's on you to catch when I make dumb mistakes because I'm not beyond that. I was about to say I'm not beyond it either, but I'll do my best. Yeah. Well, we'll get to C.S. Lewis's book here in a moment, where that's all that is really asked of us. Anyway, so Jesus taught something really unique. You go back and you see Jesus, and you've got to remember. A large part of what Jesus does is he's kind of his own evangelist. He's out giving a message of his own good news. And being the fact that he is God the Son, his good news is the best good news. So Jesus comes along and he is teaching something that is quite unique. And as a result, all of his followers, the church, we who are in the Christian church today, we have a unique view about the world. And you say, well, preacher, what is that that's unique? Jesus is teaching that people as individuals, So it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're, you know, somebody who sits in a royal palace or you're just a commoner. Jesus is teaching that you as individuals, you have the ability to make a choice of eternal value. Now, this is the choice to receive his gift of salvation and transformation or to reject it. And what is fascinating about this is you cannot make this choice for others and they cannot make it for you. You as an individual... Have the responsibility placed on your life to decide if you are willing to endure the painful transformation of salvation through Christ Jesus. And throwing this back over to Anthony, Anthony, that really is a phenomenally unique thing about Christianity and the teachings of Christ that he comes to people, it's not about any worldly qualification. Jesus just looks at all the creatures that God has put his breath in, and he looks at humankind, which is made in God's image, and says, Every one of you has the ability to make a choice. It's a really novel thing. Yeah. um,
1: And I really think uh, part of the good news also is that that choice is provided by God. Um, Without God, there wouldn't be life to choose. Yeah, Yeah. So that is a very, very important part of that.
0: Yeah. And I think what you're trying to clarify there and making sure we're all on the same page, we could not go out and purchase this gift for ourselves so kind of like yesterday you had you turned 21 um, we were all sitting together and someone brought you an ice cream sandwich you know that's something you choose to receive or not right yep and that's really how salvation is something's been given to you but it's different than the ice cream sandwich and the fact that well if you want to go get a job work go out and buy an ice cream sandwich you can but salvation that christ offers is not anything that we can go out and purchase and Beyond that, this idea that you as an individual can choose to receive it. Anthony, can you tell me any other culture in the ancient world that understood this level of individual responsibility where you matter that much? Do you think the pharaoh in Egypt cared what the commoner Egyptian thought about life and death?
1: Well, I will definitely say that I can think of no other um, religion in the time of Christ other than perhaps Judaism that actually cared about or communicate the idea that god cared about individuals um it's just sort of this generic the gods whoever they care about these things if you do these things then you're in trouble whatever um i think even something like buddhism which doesn't really come until later anyways but um if you want to say that the philosophy was around and all that you might be able to make that claim uh, even something like that, it's not really about the individual. There is no, um, I forget the name of the top god in Buddhism, but there is no Vishnu who's personally concerned with you. You just so happen to be one of those beings in the universe that made your way to him. Yeah. Is sort of what uh, and, Buddhism thinks.
0: And to the point of, you brought up Judaism, which obviously the god of the Old Testament is the god of the New Testament. He is the same. This is what his name means when he comes to, to meet Moses. But... One of the things which we find fascinating about it is the Jewish people, they missed the mark a lot. And the Old Testament followers of God and his children, they made some mistakes. And they didn't really treat people as individuals as much as they should have. I mean, we clearly see this time and time again. Well, that's
1: a huge part of the New Testament's correction to the theology of the time. Yeah, yeah, right. The the theology in the Old Testament is not, you are um, the blood and flesh of Abraham and therefore you will be saved. It was that God saved us because he made a promise to our ancestor. And so we should respond faithfully to that uh, salvation. Um, And then later on throughout the history, people began to mix in other religions and they began to think, okay, so we do these things, these things for God, we are born of this flesh and that means that we're saved. And that's a lot of what the new Testament is correcting. Yeah. We, that our flesh, what we were born as, that's not part of the equation. And even the things that we do are only done because God makes, them, makes us capable of doing it. And so that's not what is the foundation of our salvation either.
0: Okay, so just tying all that together, Jesus is really doing something novel when he says you as an individual can make a choice. It's not somebody doing it for you who feels sorry for you. It's not you doing it for someone else who you feel sorry for. It, it doesn't matter whether you were born into great circumstance or the worst circumstances in the world. Every one of you has to make this decision flat across the board but we're here to talk a little bit about pain and how that relates to the world today because there is something fascinating in this text which we're going to get to in a moment and when we're talking today about pain this is not pain for the sake of pain but it is the necessary cost of dying to the old self and being made a new creature with Christ evil worldviews in the world and you see this throughout history they like to break the cause and effect relationship with pain and life evil likes to come into a situation and create pain where it's not due and it also likes to take away pain where pain is necessary. And now these two things, they manifest really different. Um, and, and I hate to kind of be so bold in saying this, but it's a lot like a whenever you see see children who haven't been disciplined, where the pain that is necessary for healthy development is taken away, they kind of turn out to be a little bit of monsters when they get older. Like, this is something that we've seen.
1: Well, they could be monsters then too. They could well, be monsters be then
0: too. Yeah, but I, <laughs> as far as you look at... The development that people have, by the time they get to adulthood, if they haven't had the the cause and effect relationship properly put there, then they're probably going to be antisocial for life and criminal. Um, but that being said, evil a lot of times tricks people into taking away pain where pain is necessary. Now. Pain has an interesting relationship with this world. Tragedy strikes whenever people experience pain without any reason. So not every pain that you experience is due, and not every pain that's inflicted on people is due. There's a difference between that which is due and that which is not due. Evil strikes whenever people consciously add pain where it's not due or they take it away when it is due. So just a couple of things to, to be clear on there. It's
1: Well, it, it's about life anyways. And sometimes um, in order to have life, we have to undergo a certain amount of pain. I mean, sure. you know, childbearing is painful. Yep. Um, providing for children is painful, but those things are giving life and those things are very, very fulfilling in life. Yeah. And so they shouldn't, just because pain happens to come along with it for a time, doesn't mean that those actions should be discarded
0: because those actions are giving life. So when you you have, say you got a, like an issue and you've got to go to the hospital. I have a bad knack for almost chopping fingers off on Christmas day. I've done this twice in my life now. Last year, I almost cut off my, my index finger on my left hand. Um, and you know what you got to do when you do something like that? You got to go to the hospital and have it kind of fixed up. You got to have it all put back together right. Uh, and you know what? Are they doing me an injustice when they, they put needles and stuff through your, your skin and, and sew it all back together? Anthony, is that is that something mean for them to do? I'm sure there's a couple weirdos out there who enjoy it, but no. No, it's not a mean thing to do. So just because you're experiencing something that by itself might be painful, sometimes you have to underdo, undergo things which are painful in the moment because it is actually giving life in the long run. But let me be clear on some things. It is not evil to to look at your loved ones and say, I don't want them to experience pain. I don't want them to experience things which are undue to them. That, that's not evil. That's not what we're saying here. God looked at his own creatures and he saw that they had pain. He saw that they were suffering and God was grieved when this happened. In fact, God is so grieved that he sent his own begotten son that he would die on the cross. So I'm trying to make this distinction that says what actually is evil is when we try to set ourselves up as idols who think that we can create our own utopias without pain. The sinful heart of mankind cannot do this because we are not God, and we can only tear people down, and we can only deconstruct and rip the world apart. We are born into a state where we have inherited sin and death. And putting all this together, we have to remember that whether whether or not you experience pain will not alter the fact that our bodies, they cannot live forever in this current state. It's not how God originally designed them, but now that sin's in the equation, death is in the equation as well. Whether we experience tragedy in seeing a young death or we see someone who's lived a long life, the result of the body is going to be the same. The only way that we get around this is through the power of Christ Jesus. So whenever we try to set up for ourselves utopias that avoid pain, we are only making ourselves into idolaters and robbing ourselves of the kingdom of God. Sure, you might avoid the tragedy of a premature death or a long life filled with pain and agony, but idolatry comes at the cost of eternity. So one of the things that we're going to get into in a second is Matthew chapter 16. But I want us to kind of take a step back and try to really understand what I'm saying here. If we understand how evil works, a lot of times it's really good at convincing us to do wicked things by selling it to us in a pleasurable way. I think of the, the two kind of dystopian books you get Brave New World and 1984. I think Brave New World is the better version of that story because it sells people something which is evil, by doing it in a pleasurable way. And if you have even a small amount of spiritual maturity in your life, you know that evil really is good at getting you to do sinful things by tempting you with things that you find pleasurable. Evil often comes with a wonderful sounding suggestion to you, and it kind of tells you, why don't you avoid pain? And that's what we're going to find happening in this text today. When Jesus teaches us about denying the self, he is talking to us about denying that temptation to avoid pain. And the truth about Satan's painless world is this. It's not really painless. And all those who sell a pain-free utopia are idolaters. Anthony, is this worldview that Satan sells, and we find through Peter, this moment where he says, Jesus, this can't happen you. Forbid that you even go to the cross. Is it really a pain-free world if, if Jesus doesn't go to the cross?
1: Absolutely not. It, is more there, pain in the world.
0: Yeah is it a pain free world whenever people come and say oh will come join us on the collective farm you know a poster in russia from 1930 is that really a painless thing definitely not definitely not yeah there's there's millions of bodies piled up there it's it's wicked so let's get to our scripture anthony would you read from matthew chapter 16 for us this evening
1: 16:21 of matthew Not on divine things, but on human things. Then he told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom.
0: We live in an era of safety first, where any rule or regulation can be imposed on the masses in the name of safety. And you are labeled a reckless fool if you do not immediately bow down and concede to safety. A lot of the safety stuff, OSHA, they're almost like Nebuchadnezzar. You know, they've got their golden statues. They've got the stuff on the wall. They've got their straps you put on yourself while you're on the scissor lift and all that stuff. And, you know, when they come out and they ring the bell of safety first and the orchestra plays, you've got to bow down to it or else into the inferno with you. And now the problem I have with a lot of this stuff is that it it reduces people down to where they're not agents of individual Thinking. They're not agents of individual will, and there's this idea if you brand it as safety first, you can do whatever you want. Well, I hate to tell people this, but Jesus gives people a pathway into the kingdom of heaven, and it's not a pathway filled with yellow handrails and safety first posters. OSHA, which is the governmental agency for occupational safety and health administration, would not approve of the adventure of holiness. The way of life is definitely not an OSHA-inspired pathway. Um, so... Anthony's over there smiling at that. No, uh-huh. I mean
1: it's honestly uh, hilarious, and um, following Christ is actually pretty dangerous. <laughs> it is a uh, a treacherous, or what's it called? Um, some there's a certain catchphrase I'm trying to say, but either way, it's a hard quest that you'll be pursuing. in yeah. yeah. and you know, uh, agencies like OSHA, which by the way. Um, everyone I know personally who has to deal with OSHA absolutely hates dealing with it. Yeah. And I can I can sympathize because, I mean, anybody who's been through public school knows that there's all sorts of rules in
0: life about safety. Sure, that we, really we live to follow, in but. the modern day and age where you can't even bring a blow up to like a, a church event or a school event because, oh, safety and stuff, insurance won't let you have it. We live in a day that is so overly sanitized that we give praise to God that the people who have sanitized our monitor— culture are not responsible for the gospel. Like we, we just give praise to God that it is he who is responsible for it, not us, that, that he is the author of salvation, not any of us, because it would have been so sanitized, it would have not really had any substance to it. So the adventure of holiness, the way of life, it is not only dangerous, but it is actually deadly to the carnal body. It's deadly to the things that we love. We come to love our sins. We love our sin proclivities. We say, oh, I like to do this sin in the morning. I like to do that sin over there. If you are born As part of our species, you have inherited sin, and we all have our sin proclivities. And the gospel is kind of deadly to the sin proclivities. It comes to us and it wants to kill the unholy aspects in life so that we, our old self, can die and a new creature can be born. This is fundamental Christian orthodoxy that we are called to be born again. And so often do we want a comfortable lifestyle and we want to avoid pain. In fact, there are so many people here in the modern world who think the purpose of life is just to avoid pain. And that's really sad. That's really sad because the only way you can really do that is to be put in a straight jacket and thrown in a nice cushiony mattress-filled room. And nobody wants that because is that really pain-free existing? Anthony, if I go and wrap you up in a straight jacket and throw you in a room, you're going to have a, have a good time in there? It would be pretty awful. It would be awful. It, it would be absolutely awful. It would be horrible. But this is what Peter wants. Peter wants Jesus to avoid any sort of pain or discomfort. But this is not why Jesus came, and it is not the purpose of the kingdom of God. Satan sells a pain-free worldview, not Jesus. And think about that for a little bit. The Christ that came, the, the true Christ that came, he recognized in this moment that a diabolical temptation had come upon him. That's why he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's trying to come to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, not you, not you for any pain. Don't let it happen, you know, forbid the pain to even exist. You know, outlaw it, ban it, put it on the ban list. Don't let there be any pain. And Jesus turns and says, get behind me, Satan. And this is more than just a mere moment of frustration. Jesus realizes that there is a huge temptation in in human nature. And that's why he says you're, you're focusing on human things, not divine things. It is an idolatrous temptation to think that we're just called to live in a utopia without pain. The purpose of the kingdom of God was not to come and and bring this pie in the sky, you know, no conflict, no issues at all ordeal. It came to bring the perfection of God's holiness. And when the perfection of God's holiness meets sin, there is going to be some conflict. There's going to be some pain because the old ways of sin have got to go. And Jesus realizes that there's this great temptation to, well, just live in a nice little cute, cuddly, fuzzy world. And it's sad because it comes to people at a great cost. I'm not one who thinks that Scripture ever comes in a a random order, especially when you're looking in a particular book. I think there's a reason why all of these different sections of the Gospel of Matthew, they match up the way they do. Jesus isn't just saying immediately, just he spontaneously woke up and said, those who who seek to save their lives will lose it, and those who hand their life over and they, they die for my name's sake, they'll find it. He's saying this immediately after Peter just got done saying, Jesus not not you, forbid that you die, forbid that you suffer at all. Jesus is speaking to the fact that that that's not why I'm here. The divine purpose for me being here is to overcome death, to enter into this conflict with life and death, and I'm here to win it. Jesus is doing something that no one really has ever done before. He is coming to give people a choice. If you live in ancient Rome, yeah, Rome had a little attempt at democracy. It didn't last long, and it wasn't really anything like we have now you look at ancient egypt not really a lot of care about how individuals make choices you look at someone like nebuchadnezzar of babylon you think nebuchadnezzar come along after conquering the the people of god and hauling them off to babylon you think he he lined up and said okay how do you feel about this you think that's what he did anthony you think he cared much about their personal choices and personal morality no no and you know what we look throughout human history. Ungodly things never care about people as individuals. And they always look at people as some sort of collective. Um, and they don't care about the personal choice. And the sad thing is, is this, this does creep in the church. Um, the church has toyed with this for some times. It, it doesn't usually end well um, because it's fundamentally different from what Jesus is doing. Jesus comes and says, you as an individual, you can choose to receive this gift that I have for you. This pathway into the kingdom of God, it will bring you liberty. But it's going to come at a great cost when you make the choice to receive the gift of salvation and transformation from jesus you are choosing the cross the cross is not a pretty thing i think we've really messed up as protestants by moving away from depictions of the cross that actually show jesus on it to now we just have wooden crosses with with no jesus on it. we've effectively taken jesus off the cross in a sense to, to sanitize it you know, I I love that painting of Jesus there when he's knocking on the door that looks like a heart and I love a lot of depictions that people have done throughout the years of the crucifixion scene. And I think that every church needs a good painting of a crucifixion and that picture next to it of Jesus knocking on the heart's door and just, you know, come if you just come in church and stare at that for an hour, you know, every every now and then you you will be convicted by your God because the cross is a painful thing. When you choose to to follow Jesus, when you choose to receive that gift, you are choosing something which is both painful and deadly. And it is a choice that will give you value as an individual because God cares for you in spite of all the brokenness in your life. He's not here to give a hug to the brokenness and say, oh, how I love sin. He's here to free you from it. But the only way to find this liberty is to endure the great cost of the cross. Now, Jesus, he is giving people a pathway where they can really thank for themselves. Rome does not really do this with people. You know, this is why they they realize they've messed up when they beat Paul and then they find out he's a Roman citizen. If you're not a Roman citizen, they don't care. If you are a Roman citizen, they care a little bit more, but not not a lot. So so let me ask you this, Anthony. Um, 21-year-old Anthony, who's got great questions to rhetorical questions. I know everybody hates getting rhetorical questions, but I like to throw them in, Anthony. Um, 21-year-old Anthony, um, does Nebuchadnezzar care if you have an ability to think as an individual?
1: Well... Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> if his attention turns to you, your uh, probably individuality in goes out the window. Oh,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah, out the window. It probably actually goes into a furnace.
1: Well, either you'll throw your individuality out the window or he'll throw it in the furnace. So yeah, that's what yeah. you're left with.
0: You know, I always love um, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You get to see that that utter defeat of the idolatry there. But one of the more tragic sides of that story that's often overlooked, and I bring it up a lot on air because it fascinates me, is that Nebuchadnezzar's own men burn alive. They would rather burn alive taking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace than have any sort of free thinking at all. People who want to conquer you do not want you to think freely or be uniquely important as an individual. They, they don't want you to be liberated from whatever your people group you're connected to, whatever your birth circumstances is, whatever your sin proclivity is. People who want to conquer you don't want you to be separate from that. They don't want you to be an, an independent person capable of thinking freely and, and making the choice of eternal value by yourself. Anthony? Well, this is also um, a very, very
1: complacent and painless way of life yeah you know um you have no reason to step out of the circumstances of um your birth and you have no reason to fight the sinful inclinations that maybe you were born with you know and Um, it's easy
0: it's easy to sell this
1: yeah and i mean everybody really has their uh per se favorite sins yep um and most of that stuff honestly is very very either it's Developed early on, or it's dang near genetic.
0: A lot of you know, well, you know people with parents well, and all I mean, that stuff. They share the same inc- sin inclinations. Well, I hate to tell people this, but Anthony, does Christian orthodoxy what does it say about sin? Is it inherited, or is it something you just wake up and when you're like fourteen, you discover sin for the first time, or is it something which is part of human nature, meaning you are born with it and you experience it?
1: Part of uh, the corrupted human nature, but we're all corrupted. We are. Uh, you know, images of God which were corrupted because they came from corrupted in images of God. Yep. And that's why we're supposed to be born of the true image of God and remade. Sure, yeah. So sin is naturally
0: experienced. I don't know where the church has decided this is not something we're going to assert anymore, but, I mean, we're here to assert it. There are actually a lot of people who assert it. Just, um, It's not very popular to assert it, I should say. Sin is, is naturally experienced. Everybody wakes up and they say, oh, it feels good. Of course they do. If you want to to choose Jesus, you must be an individual willing to choose the cross. This cannot be done for other people. You can't do it for people you feel sorry for. It can't be done for you by another creature. You have to do it. There's an importance of the choice you make yourself. And while on the subject of this fatal choice of Christianity, I want us to, to make a clarifying point. While it is onerous on us to choose, it is Christ that has the power to save. Christ is offering us a gift that we cannot in any way obtain for ourselves. We can only choose whether or not we want to receive it. And another clarifying point is it's not evil to say, I don't want my loved ones to suffer. People, they see terrible, tragic things to come to their loved ones. That's not evil at all. God, he looks at his children and he He, he sees their suffering and he wants to, to do something. He wants to help in that situation and he wants to bring salvation and eternal life. One of my favorite scenes in the Old Testament that I think is one of the most moving scenes is the end of Exodus chapter 2 where the final verse simply says God saw the Israelites and God knew. He heard their sufferings. He knew what was going on. He saw their slavery. He saw all the misery they're in and God knew. God was aware of it. God is grieving over the situation. He's going to do something. God loved his creatures and was such a such a merciful and charitable God that he endured the death of losing his own child, watching him die on the cross so that his creatures would not have to go through endless decay and death. So when we look at this, there's there's a few other thoughts that I want us to, to have. In order for me to really explain everything that I've gone on, I've got to throw something else out there that's really going to get the pitchforks rolling. So, I am not a pastor who is of the school of thought that thinks everything happens for a reason. It's a little bit of a Christian trope. I don't even know if it's a Christian trope. It's just sort of a a pseudo... Because you see people who are kind of atheists say this too. It's sort of an entry-level spiritual thing to say everything happens for a reason. I'm not sure what a trope means, but um, I will
1: say there's been a lot of varying opinions on this in the church. Uh, Some people... some people throughout history and saints included have interpreted all sorts of things to be um, the work of God and then others uh, live also with your mindset that I'm going to let you explain
0: yeah let me just explain it I'm not of the school of thought that everything happens for a reason now what I have sincerely seen is that God has a plan we don't always know what is relevant in that plan but we know that God has a plan and we also know quite clearly if you look at scripture there are things which have moved outside of the God's plan now, I'm a guy who, who takes things to the logical conclusion, and the logical conclusion of this everything happens for a reason is that God desires people to suffer and to endure hell for all eternity. And that's, that's not what God has revealed himself to be, so I, I don't think you can make this premise without taking it there. And I don't think you can make a strong biblical case for this whole notion of everything happens for a reason either. I mean, you look at Genesis 1, and you find the Spirit of God hovering above the watery void. That literally is a place without material reason or substance. So, I mean, it's literally something that has no reason in its existence, and God comes to it and does something powerful. Let me give a definition to what I'm really talking about here. When I say everything happens for a reason, I am referring to a mentality that thinks every single aspect of reality has moral value as part of God's master plan for eternity. And I just don't think that's the case. Like, I've got this ink pen that's here, you know, part of it's purple and orange. Some people like Coke, some people like Pepsi. I don't think that it's a, a moral matter in the course of eternity which in choices like that. You know, some people were born kind of ugly, some people are not so ugly. I don't think these things have any value in the course of salvation. Um that that's just the truth of it. Anthony's over there smiling, but the thing is God loves us. If you've got a it doesn't matter. If you're you're six foot tall, you're five foot tall, does not matter one inkling. I look and the God all right, of all well, creation. I can
1: handle the allusion to the other stuff, but now, now you're throwing short people in there, and I guess you know that's that one applies to me personally. So I really hope that uh, God didn't foreordain my height and take yeah, that it, time. It,
0: it does not have any matter in the course of eternity at all.
1: If not, me and God are gonna have to have a word. And also, not Anthony really, of course, Anthony's not not that short. really just playing.
0: Anthony's not that short. He's 21 year old. Anthony is a lot more humble than than I would have expected. I really like 21 year old Anthony. He's great. So I'm referring to really this idea that says everything is part of God's um, kind of puppet routine. And the thing is, is God is capable of making beings with will, and he doesn't just have to reduce himself down to being a lesser being that's just a puppet master. It's a lot easier to be a puppet master than it is to create beings with free will. Now, that being said, I think that God responds to things that are outside of his plan. I mean, God did take that watery void and make something meaningful out of it. Um, God certainly responds to things, but at the same time, I think God is a bigger God than just being a, a simple little puppet master and wishing people to to suffer. Um, nothing really suggests that. So when we look here, I want to bring up a book by C.S. Lewis because i got a really great way of addressing this. Um, if you haven't read C.S. Lewis's book, The Paralandra, it's for some people. Some people look at it and it's kind of so strange they can't really get into it. I liked it. The Paralandra, it's essentially a story about the inception of Adam and Eve, but on another world. And God is having a, another creation. It's another planet in space and God is coming here to create life and he has this first couple. But this time he's brought in a new character to the story of Adam and Eve and that's the main character of the book. His name is Ransom and he's sent here as the new character in this world's garden of Eden and his goal is basically to stop Eve from eating the fruit and sinning. Now, Ransom feels like this is a pretty big responsibility for him to do. He's like, I'm just a normal guy. Why am I on this planet? And why am I here in the story of Adam and Eve to try to stop this first sin from happening? He's like, God, this is too much weight you've put on my shoulder. But he then has a revelation from God. It's God's plan for him to stop this. And it's God's plan for this to be a righteous world free of sin. However, if Ransom makes a mistake and he messes up things and Eve eats that, first fruit she she makes that first sinful decision it's not the end because god's name is also ransom and even if ransom messes things up ransom himself he's not a god he's not a god like god is the god he's not even a lowercase g god god is going to ransom and save this planet even if it does get messed up because that's in god's master plan we can't mess things up bad enough to to derail god's master plan god's kingdom is is coming it is being revealed it is something which is set and no matter how bad we make mistakes we're not going to put a stop to that
1: well that's just uh professing also a very very central christian concept which is that um the goodness of life and salvation and the recreation of the world and heaven are all the work of god yep um and so nothing can overcome him nothing can overcome it we've been given for a time uh or however you would like to phrase it but we've been given free will and so we can do things with that free will that god doesn't will necessarily but our human actions are not going to stop god's final last
0: intentions sure so and that that's what i mean when i i say i cannot buy into this mentality of everything happens for a reason because i'm not saying god cannot give purpose to situations what i'm saying is we make ourselves idolaters when we say everything has moral value and it affects God's master plan because it's part of God's master plan. No, I, I don't think God intended for people to sin. You look at things that are understood to be bornless to creation, um, and you even look to the garden, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not the tree of good and evil itself. So you look at this stuff, it it, it really kind of comes clearly that there. There are things uncreated that are now in this world because they are evil and wicked, and evil and wickedness they are uncreated. They, they are things which have crept in in absence. It's kind of like darkness. Anyways, bring all this back together. We look at this scripture and it finds is at a place where those who try to avoid the pain of the cross will end up losing their life in the grand course of eternity. Today we have people who try to forbid pain and create a utopia where they feel like they can be like Peter in this moment of spiritual failure, where they come along and say, Oh, forbid it to happen, outlaw it, it'll never happen again. Christ did not come that we would avoid pain, but that we could be liberated and transformed. Again, he didn't come for us just to have pain for pain's sake. He came that we would have liberty and transformation. Sometimes that comes at a lot of pain. Some people ended up being crucified like him. There are people who have had terrible deaths. There are other people who have had very peaceful and wonderful lives, and we give praise to God for that. But we know that in the grand course of eternity, the kingdom of God is a place with goals and aspirations. The pain on the cross was not endured for nothing. It's a pain that makes us stronger and holier. It brings us into the presence of God where we are new creatures, liberated from the habits of the old self. Now, it's not easy to find this liberty, but it is powerful when we do. Christ desires for us to be sanctified. And we have to remember that sin begets sin. Sin cannot defeat sin if we... Ever think that we're going to make a utopia on this world where everybody is, is equal and we all look together in our nice little uniforms? It's not going to happen because we're not capable of doing that. And that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to do the work of his gospel. And the scriptures are pretty clear that there's going to be opposition all throughout. And to think that that's just what it tells us. Sin begets sin and sin cannot defeat sin. One does not solve the problems of old by trying to flip the script and change who the players are. Anthony likes chess. Well, the younger Anthony likes chess. I don't know if 21-year-old Anthony likes chess or not. But I'm going to throw something at at 21-year-old Anthony, a little bit of a chess question. If he and I are playing chess and he's beating me at it and he's got some strategy worked out that I just can't defeat, and I say, Anthony, I know how I'm going to defeat you if you'll concede to it, and I say, why don't you and I switch which seats we're at at the table and say you were playing with the black figures and I'm playing with the white figures and say, well, I'm going to play with that and you'll come over here and play with the ones I had. Is that going to change my chances of beating you?
1: No. And on that note, I mean, even if you were to try to use my strategy against me, uh, that really wouldn't end up playing out any better for you either.
0: I think 21-year-old Anthony is getting a little um, ambitious on me over there. But the point he's making is correct. Okay, uh, wait a
1: second. I didn't mean it that way.
0: Uh, I see I see how this is. We'll we'll have to sort this one out off air. But the the point I'm trying to make is a sin begets sin. You can't defeat sin with more sin. You know, if I go to the kitchen in here, which is the next room over here in our, our facilities here at the church, and I get some cookies out and I drop one all over my shirt and I get chocolate all over me, do you go get another cookie to clean that up? No, you don't. Sin does not fix the problem. And A lot of times people, when they ever want to make utopias, they only tear the world down. They can't build people up because really only God can do that. But they can surely tear people down. Sanctification is what begets peace and liberty. And it does so at the price of the cross. When we are sanctified, we find that we can live in a state that rules over the carnal nature, not under it. This brings joy to us. And we find that we start to receive the effects of sanctification. There's an interesting word that's used here. Jesus teaches that those who receive Him will receive a reward for their works. Now, this is not a supernatural event where everyone who confesses Christ they get a bar of gold in their their mail every day. But instead, this is actually what I would consider a natural event. It's a natu- natural progression, and it's a necessary payment for a holy and righteous living. And if you live with holy and righteous things in your life, you're going to have the joys in holy of righteous things. That's kind of how it works. It's really basic. And I think it's very logical how this all plays out. The truth of Satan's painless sales pitch is this. It's not really painless. Anthony, what were you saying about the the other? Well, I was just going to say, it sounds like uh,
1: what you want to say is that there is an order in the kingdom. It's not like God was just like, okay, well, if you're living righteous, then you're going to have these things. It's not like that. It's much more like if you are on the path of life, if you are in the right relationship with God, Then you will have the fruits of the Spirit. The joy is unspeakable. The abundant life. All those things are part of what it means to be in right relationship and on the path of life. I mean, you know, it's not as though uh, all of a sudden we prayed to Jesus and now he's like, all right, well, if you pray to me, now I'm going to hook you up. It's more like you've engaged on the path of life and on that path, you will be in life. You will have the fruits of the Spirit. It's a very um, straightforward order. Uh, So.
0: Yeah. So the truth of Satan's painless sales pitch is this. It's not really painless. Those who see the world and they say, ah, I can save my life by not finding death, it's, it's all a fraud. It's a sham. It's a big, big sham. Satan's sales pitch, the accuser comes along to sell something which he can't really sell. But those who give their lives over to the power of the gospel, they do find salvation. The necessary payment for sin is death and The necessary payment for the holiness is life. God is a just God, and he is willing to redeem his creation rather than destroy it. Moreover, God values each and every one of his creatures, and he came to mankind and offered them a gift that they could never obtain, adoption into his family. As we close, I want us to give glory to God for this wonderful gift. And Anthony, as we get to our kind of final thoughts in this, I know... We've talked a lot about that opossum that you had to clean out from another the church. Do you wish that you could have got that thing out without having to endure the stink? Yes, absolutely.
1: No question about it.
0: But <laughs> what was, was the cost too high or too great or exactly what it had to be to get the opossum out? I'll say this much. It was a lot higher
1: than I was expecting it to be. But on the flip side of that, as you said a lot, I mean, it was the price that was exactly what it was supposed to be
0: it was i mean it was just the orderly necessary
1: thing and the rewards were good um, the rewards were good you know like we had spent a long time looking for that possum all that stuff i finally found it yep and i was thinking the whole time you know hey if i find it i want to be the one to get to help the church out we're going to get rid of this stink all that stuff you know there was a lots of good perks to finally getting rid of this stink yep but Um, when the problem actually came before me, then I realized, wow, like all these good things have a pretty big cost and it's going to be having to deal with the disgustingness, which, I mean, I sound like I'm being a baby, but it was right at the worst stages of decomposition (laughs) for a human being to endure. I'm just saying, I mean, you know, there's dead a long time, dried up all that stuff. There's immediately dead kind of clean still. There's a middle in there. That's really bad. It was and at the
0: apex of this.
1: Yeah. And um, I thought that the price was a lot higher than, or at least, you know, it was a lot higher than what, what I was expecting, certainly. Yep. But the truth of the matter is, is you said a lot, many times it it was exactly what it needed to be.
0: Well, what it had to be. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly as it had to be. And yeah, sometimes we get sticker shock at the price of things, but if we want to walk along the adventure of holiness than we have to. So big takeaways from this, because we've kind of been all over the place in this program. Um, The big takeaway I want us to have for this is that evil, it tries to trick us into, well, giving up our salvation because we don't want to avoid pain or conflict. That, That happens. Now that doesn't mean that it's always evil to avoid pain and conflict or not wish that upon your loved ones because the kingdom, it doesn't come for pain's sake. It comes for the sake of bringing people back into the kingdom of God, bringing them back to the design that God had for them. So really, as we walk away from this, I want us to be thinking about what it really means to live and walk on the adventure of holiness. We're not just here to avoid pain and suffering, but we are here to be transformed by the power of Christ Jesus. So with that, we thank you for joining us. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos. Come to our Facebook like us on Facebook, follow our Facebook page, go over to YouTube, subscribe to our channel, and follow us. We thank you for joining us. Take us with you on iTunes, SoundCloud, CastBox, all those places. And you can donate voluntarily at patreon.com slash Lagos. Send us your thoughts, questions, and comments as well. With that, God love you, and have a blessed day.